0: At a time when many of life's little luxuries have been taken away or at least put on hold, our sponsor Ole is here to ensure we can all still indulge in some of the finer things in life. I am in love with their retinol collection. I have tried all the creams, lads, and I mean all of them, and this makes my skin feel. Incredible. Really glowy, really strong, really bright, which in winter is a tricksy old thing. With Ole, I can face anything. Seriously. Anything. And there's a lot going on. Let's be honest. Queuing for bread in the mist, alpaca socks, and being spooned by a tree. You should try it. There are a million things I'm thankful for today, but what is my guest thankful for?
1: To be able to be part of making eating disorder culture and its toxicity mainstream is something that I feel very relieved for. Yeah. It's been very freeing to now like almost never have a conversation with a woman without her bringing it up to me. Yeah. I'm Angela Scanlon
0: and welcome to Thanks a Million, where we explore our guests' personal gratitude lists to find out the things that have shaped their lives. Jamila Jamil has recently been named one of Vogue's Women of the Year taking home the Global Disruptor Award. I can't think of a better title for this woman. I feel like she should have that on her tombstone if she's, you know, that way inclined. Which I'm not sure she is, to be fair. Many of you will know, Jamila has gone from TV and radio presenter in the UK to Hollywood actress in the hit series The Good Place, as well as becoming an activist, known for saying it how it is. She is the founder of the I Way movement, which challenges society's definition of worth through weight, helping people all over the world to see themselves as more than just a number on a set of scales. The podcast I Weigh with Jamila launched this year. I would thoroughly recommend listening to it. It is mind-blowing It's opening, it's moving, and it's funny. Actually, what are you doing listening to this? You should probably go over there. (laughs) Don't, asshole. But Jamila, she's even been invited to address Congress about weight stigma and mental health. So Global Disruptor seems like a very worthy award. I have been loving the simplicity of your thanks a millions at the moment. A Christmas tree. Health, the sun, my hairdresser, Leo the dog, Cork County Council, niche, my family and I waking up for another day, swimming in the sea, my dad coming out of hospital, blue skies keep them coming. I love them. Hashtag thanks a million trio. In this episode, we chat about the uselessness of celebrities and the real heroes that have come out of this mad, mad year. Shifts in perspective and conversations. We talk about loneliness, about perfectionism, about shamelessness. I discover the wonders of EMDR therapy and Jamila speaks really honestly about the emotional impact of that feud with Piers Morgan. Before we start, we do discuss some darker issues, so you might want to check the show notes before if you are in any way concerned. The language is also a little punchy, just an FYI. So welcome, Jamila Jamil. I am so happy to have pinned you down,
1: metaphorically (laughs) speaking, for a chinwag. How's life? Life is fine. And I think that that is the gold standard for this year, honestly. If everything's just fine, <laughs> then I feel as though, you know, we're yeah. all winning. Um, yeah, it's stressful. It's been a stressful, odd, anxious year, but also a year mm. where I feel as though if you are incredibly lucky, you have a moment to A, deal with all the shit that you hadn't dealt with before because all of the chaos has stopped and the world has come to a standstill. Yeah. So I've been able to do a bit of sort of self-reflection, self-investigation, and. Um, Mm -hmm. But also, you know, I think our value systems have shifted, and I find that quite exciting, Um, you know, watching my generation finally get off the the treadmill that we've all been on, you know, since 2008, since that big recession, our generation was sort of burdened with the task of rebuilding the economy. And they did that by infusing us with a capitalist obsession and get the bad culture and like worshiping these, you know, terrible fake idols we had all the wrong perceptions of what was true success and what was glorious and i feel like this year suddenly the people on the front cover of vogue are essential workers and nurses and doctors and we're looking at immigrants differently well most of us are uh, some politicians yeah. are still um backwards and terrible terrible assholes um <laughs> it's I'm quite com- a gentle- I'm coming in coming in hot and <laughs> Uh, I'd expect nothing less (laughs) but um but I feel as though like we find the things that we were glorifying even a year ago really tacky and tasteless and and privilege is a dirty word and exclusive is a dirty word and and all of a sudden these people that you know we so wanted to be we so aspired to to be similar to we find to be useless and quite embarrassing and I'm sure I'm in that pile for sure you know well, you and so think that celebrities have been exposed kind yeah, of yeah fuck mm. them just fuck them all fuck us all uh we're useless and crap and don't deserve this much attention value or love yeah <laughs> sorry no offense but we're crap um no and, I, and i've always thought that we were crap and so it's been quite exciting to watch The rise of the people who are actually going to make a real difference in this world. You know, this year of of difficult conversations that used to be kind of pushed away or you would be shamed for bringing up certain difficult taboo conversations because they used to make people uncomfortable. Suddenly discomfort Mm -hmm. is welcome and people are having just the most stimulating and exciting conversations. So while this is a horrifying year, I think it's a year of tremendous change for the good, not just the bad.
0: I completely agree and I think we've kind of this we've gotten rid of the small talk it's like how the fuck are you and it's straight in there's no messing around it's like how's your soul how's your head you know what like hit me with it and I think we're able to hold each other in a Mm -hmm. better way even though we're kind of you know a lot of us slightly falling apart but actually we're more open to that in
1: ourselves and in other people yeah and 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 also, I feel as though the loneliness epidemic that we've been in long before lockdown has finally come to a head, and now people are finally able to talk about it in a way where it feels more. You know, we've always been unified in a sense of collective loneliness because if you look at the statistics of places like Australia, it's like something like seventy percent of the people there feel lonely. Sixty-six percent of Britons feel lonely. uh, Seventy percent of Canadians again, and more and more throughout all these kind of different countries. People have been secretly answering surveys saying that they're incredibly lonely, like devastatingly lonely, but they don't tell their yeah. friends and family because there's this feeling of, well, I'm some sort of, you know, social leper. Yeah, you know, like I, I, I no yeah. one wants to be around me. And so if I admit that, you know, it's that kind of no one wants to eat at an empty restaurant. You know, if if anyone knows that I'm lonely and I don't yeah. have friends, if I tell anyone that, then they won't want to hang out with me either.
0: Yeah, it's like it's like it's contagious. Like you're exactly. exposing yourself, and it's quite embar. It's one of the things that's quite embarrassing. You're like, oh my god, it's the thing. I imagine, you know, the the smelly right. But it's too. also, but it's and not like embarrassing. It's person. not
1: embarrassing, and I've been lonelier yeah, no, no, most of my life than I than I've then I've not felt lonely. And I've always been very open about that and been treated like a a freak (laughs) before now for saying that whenever I've, you know, right now I'm in a very lucky situation where I'm, you know, living in a house with my friends during lockdown and my boyfriend. But, you know, many times in my life, even when I was at the height of fame, I was so lonely that I wanted to kill myself. And so, you know, I think that this year being able to watch people just be able to finally come out and say I'm fucking lonely. And for it to be a normalised, destigmatised word has been also something that gives me a lot of hope going forward. Like I'm hoping that we're gonna get off our fucking phones when the world goes back to normal. We're actually gonna see each other's faces, you know? and hold each other yeah. properly yeah I'm bringing I all the jokes it. Angela
0: <laughs> no it's good don't worry I like it this is what this is about it's cool I love it I'm into it and actually it's funny because I did um Ashling was the first uh guest I had on this show and we spoke in depth about yeah. loneliness actually on a day that both of us kind of connected over that and it was one of the episodes that people come back to me time and time again and are like fuck I've feel it i felt it i felt so embarrassed i wanted to hide and no, like it's a hard thing to mm-hmm. say out loud because you think that there's it's your mm-hmm. fault there's something wrong with you if you're lonely in a place surrounded and by then
1: some people, people feel know. lonely and they feel ungrateful for being lonely because they're not technically alone and we don't talk enough about the yeah. loneliness you can feel in the wrong marriage or the wrong relationship or with the wrong flatmates. A hundred percent.
0: Yeah, and also the kind of difficulty in, in A, recognising that. So, like, aside from the shame or the stigma we associate with loneliness, but the, the vulnerability in telling somebody, I feel lonely, which means I'm not getting some need met, I need something more, and that's quite a... a Tricky place to be for 100%. a lot of people. I know that with with Wei you are. It feels very disciplined in your self talk. You know, I came on and was like, "Whoa, I look like a ghost," and you're like, "No, no, no." Is gratitude something you practice consciously, or is it something that you kind of just you know happens, or you're it's not in your sphere at all?
1: Gratitude is something I practice every day since I was like 19 years old. I Did you? Yeah. Well, because I got hit by a car damaged my back so badly I couldn't walk, and then couldn't piss by myself for, like, over a year. Mm. So there's something about that, or, like, you know, anything else. And so when you, you know, you get a wake-up call like that about how amazing your body has been for you all these years, and I was super anorexic leading up to then, and I was just harming my body as much as humanly possible like risking osteoporosis risking like organ failure infertility all these different things I was doing to myself willfully because I hated my body so much for not being as obediently stick thin as I wanted it to be I suddenly had that wake-up call of like shit I've missed everything amazing that this body was doing all along that I took completely for granted and so I, th- I feel as though I never took anything for granted ever again after that. I highly recommend getting hit by a little car <laughs> at 17 because you spend the rest of your life highly content and highly grateful. Like I really don't want a lot in this world. I'm not a big spendy person apart mm-hmm. from on food. I, I don't want for much more than I have. And that's been a real relief in this industry where you are encouraged. To always want more, to mm. always have FOMO, to always be like, oh, well, she's doing this, yeah. I'm not doing that, shit, should I be going to this, am I in the right room, am I talking to the right people at the right event? I didn't really go to a lot of the events, I didn't really check in with that sort of part of mm. this industry, because I was always just like, happy to be here, yeah. and that has meant that I've never felt ungrateful, I've never kept my eye on anyone else's lane, I've never felt competitive, I've never felt disappointed, i kind of lived a life with high hopes but low expectations, and just always grateful that I can piss by myself. Well, I could before I got a dog. Now he insists on being in the room with me, which to be honest, like, just like it's the perviest thing I've ever seen. I'll wait till And you he have needs a kid. to make eye contact with me, like while I piss.
0: That is oh, I intimacy can't imagine.
1: at its best. <laughs> <laughs> and
0: also try having a shower where your daughter examines your foof. And is like, wow, that looks a bit different to mine. <laughs> <laughs> that is violation, but also a bit cute. Um, yeah. It's interesting because I, having had a kid, it wasn't an accident, but it had a similar effect on me in terms of my relationship with my body. I yeah. Been relentless. You know, if I exercised, it was punishing. If I, you know, it was. I was very hard. I saw it as this tool. I didn't really connect with it. I wasn't really in it. It was to be, you know, punished and controlled and adorned. But actually, it was never to be loved, really, and like no. by myself. And I do think I was like, wow. I had a sudden kind of wonder about just how powerful. And how wondrous our bodies yeah. are that it just had never dawned on me before. I'd heard that kind of language yeah. used, but I was like, well, what the fuck is that? No, not for I me. I know.
1: It's funny we never had this conversation. Like, mm. we've known each other for, what, eight years? Yeah. And we never talked about the fact that we were both struggling so much with our body image. We went on a fucking tour <laughs> around England together and never said anything. Went through countless <laughs> stupid fucking meals. Like... <laughs>
0: <laughs> I know. with Rick Edwards I know. it was, it so was funny. like
1: <laughs> <the> I know the <laughs>
0: most bizarre I pretended to be a DJ I had literally no idea how to be a DJ and
1: it was it was weird it was weird it was great I mean it was yeah. a hilarious way to to work but it was yeah. such a bo- bonding time all these trains across the country I know but never having this massive conversation of this thing that our entire generation was struggling with yeah it felt taboo to talk about and something that I hope that I've done in this world is hopefully slightly kicked the door open for us to at least just have this conversation yeah. of like hey we've all got some weird relationships with food in our bodies and and to be able to be part of making eating disorder culture and its toxicity mainstream is something that I feel very relieved for yeah it's been very freeing to now like almost never have a conversation with a woman without her bringing it up to me yeah that she's like by the way I had this and like mm this is what I did and this is where I'm at now and this is what I'm trying it feels very it feels very uh unifying doesn't yeah, it to yeah. be able to just well, own that
0: exactly and i think it's the kind of opposite of that idea of isolation and loneliness it's like oh it's funny because when i started doing therapy things would come up and there would be like almost a suggestion that that was you know the human condition and i found it really <laughs> affronting i was like excuse me i'm special that is my experience don't take it away from me but actually i now i'm like oh lads we're all in it together and actually so many of our experiences are shared
1: yeah and also that's just the magic of the me too movement wasn't Mm -hmm. it you know the way that tarana Burke was able to just open up a global conversation around consent and harassment and sexual assault Mm -hmm. that made us realize that ah we are we are part of a system of abuse and oppression and actually we're not special or individuals or cliches um we're just part of a practiced method of oppression yeah and, and and in realising that, we were able to no longer gaslight ourselves mm-hmm. about our experience, reach out to each other, realise that this is so prevalent, yeah. and then be able to combat it together as like a wall of sisterhood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, whether
0: that was eating disorder or sexual abuse, women were encouraged to underestimate the seriousness of whatever their experience was. Unless it was the worst experience, it was not valid. It was not worth talking about. It wasn't serious enough. Unless you were in hospital with a drip, it didn't count. Yeah,
1: it's the same thing with my black friends. Like they're all realizing that those microaggressions Mm. that they were receiving were not because there was something wrong with them, it's part of a system. Of microaggressions or just full-on aggressions you know I think that it's been amazing to watch people no longer be able to gaslight themselves that is the power of community that's why I'm such an open you know to a fault such an open book yeah. because if I say it that something happened to me someone else might feel free to at least even admit to themselves that they've been through the same thing yeah and then they might go out and get help or they might teach someone else and then that person might realize the knock-on effect of transparency and honesty especially when you're in a position of privilege yeah Is so unfathomable. Like, we have to do more of it in our positions. Otherwise, we're letting people think that. We have perfect lives, and and that they are a fuck up and a failure. When we are the biggest fuck ups and failure, what kind of psychopaths would enter into this industry? I know. We're the I know. we're the biggest fuck ups, <laughs> and we've the been broken lying. ones. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, what kind of void has to be in your soul that you put yourself up for voluntary like abuse? Like and, and like the abuse of like the Daily Mail. Like, why would you ever voluntarily step forward in something like that? Yeah. Yeah, Unless you're a maniac. (laughs) So how dare we, of all people, pretend Pretend. that we've we've got it all sorted with a perfect mum, with, you know, we have the perfect body. Yeah, Let's be more honest about it so everyone can realise that we, We as a generation, we as a generation collectively suck at different things and let's own that so that we can have a starting point to work on ourselves from, Mm, right? Yeah. And I do think, in fairness,
0: there is a curiosity about self and self-betterment yeah i think i think we're open to sorting our shit out in a way that yeah. previous generations haven't been you know aware of or interested in
1: i'm excited to oh i'm actually ex- i'm i'm not just open to it, i'm excited to become yeah. a better and less ignorant person like i run it i've created this podcast i've right. created my youtube channel like everything that we put out my social media everything is to make it exciting to learn together. Like I'm the the ignorant crash test dummy. Like I'm the guinea pig and I'm learning on my podcast every single week. And I'm growing in real time in front of people to give people hope that like, look at what a twat I was (laughs) and I'm changing. So if you are a twat, you You can can also change. change. There's hope for us all. Uh, And that's kind of my, that's my vibe. Fuck it, why not start with me? If not me, then who? If not now, then Then when, when? Angela? (laughs) On that we note. need we need a path of redemption for a twat. Yeah, you know, agreed. We need to make redemption cool again. If no. you haven't done irrevocable harm, like not everyone deserves redemption. Yeah, no, not everyone does, but, but we do. Yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> I don't feel as though I have committed no, irrevocable harm, and gentlemen. I don't think. I don't think there's any amount of annoying you can be that is like a criminal offence. now. <laughs> Although think, I'm probably on thin ice, but... <laughs> no, I think you're wonderful. <laughs> Thanks, mate.
0: Okay, so what are you thankful for today? Oh,
1: I'm thankful for... I'm, th- I'm so fucking thankful for the people that I live with and how funny and kind and supportive they are and just the people I've bubbled with, um, one of whom's sitting behind the laptop right now uh, working with me. Um, Hello. And and just the ways in which we have all been so unjudgmental of each other and the kindness that we've sort of shown one another and the fact that we've been able, sorry, there's a siren in the background because I am under arrest, so. Uh, <laughs> I like it. I'll be thankful. I'll be thankful for whichever lawyer comes to save me after this. <laughs> Uh, it's, the, it's the Kardashians they're coming uh, no um, so uh, I feel I feel very very thankful for people and I think that I forgot about people or fun or um, mental health for the last couple of years because I've just been working so hard not just as an actor but mostly as an activist and I just kind of didn't stop mm-hmm. and it's that kind of mentality that I think we all had you know especially when you're a woman you're given a sprint not a marathon and you feel so lucky to be in the room so you never pass up an opportunity to be in the room as in like within the industry you never take fucking time off i don't know maybe because you had a baby you were kind of forced into a moment of like stepping back but i imagine that must have given you some anxiety when it happened oh all of the anxiety yeah yeah because
0: it was yeah a forced thing but it doesn't take away any of the anxieties around (gasps) suddenly getting off the treadmill even though you're like literally yeah and and the
1: work and emotional treadmill is the only one i've ever been on because you know you can imagine me my Mm -hmm. accident prone mr bean self (laughs) getting on any kind (laughs) of actual physical treadmill but um but the stillness and like how much how much shit like just surfaced for me this year that i realized i hadn't been processing like i had a bit of a ridiculous rise in america in the last two years like I'm not just I'm not just in yeah. Bieber um, but <laughs> it's been a bit mad to ha- have just experienced this kind of attention this fast and I don't think I was processing it at the time and this is by no means a relatable conversation I'm sure but like this is what I've experienced the last two years like I was in so much chaos and working so hard not having time to process the fact that my my platform was rising just so much faster than I'd expected or anticipated or even wanted. And so, like, not being able to gauge that my tone needed to change in order to accommodate the fact that I was now being heard by millions and millions of people around the world every time I fucking spoke. And so what do you... So I think you, that I made, like, careless... As in you needed to edit little yourself? A bit. Like, I needed to, like... Because, you know, my personality on the internet to all 12,000 people that ever followed me was, until now, like, was just sort of don't really give a fuck, sort of, just your your drunk disappointing sister online (laughs) you know just uh, had no filter and just sort of like just try stuff out uh and and always had a tongue in cheek and you know and so i didn't realize that by by expressing that i care about something and i feel very passionately about injustice people suddenly looked at me as a politician and they were just like, right now you, you know, you're a you're okay. a world leader now, even though I'm fucking not. Uh, and you must be held to the standard of a pope or a world leader, where you must be like okay. omniscient. You must be fully, perfectly responsible. You must never be, ma- never make a joke. And if you do make a joke, it'll be taken as uh, very, very serious and verbatim. Okay. And and you cannot have made any mistakes before. You cannot make any mistakes now. And and so I, to a degree, I understand that you must be held to a higher standard, of course, when you have a bigger platform. But I think I just didn't realize quite how big my platform was becoming and-
0: Okay, and how many eyes and how many people were waiting for you to- Yeah, and also
1: like the fact that we, in particular with women, like we always assume the absolute worst. Like I've said it before that we we don't really have the benefit of the doubt left for women because we've spent it all on men, you know? And I think (laughs) that that's very true. We're never like, oh, I bet she's kidding. You know, it's, it's <laughs> that fucking evil bitch yeah, we, is finally showing us her truest it. colours. I knew it. Mm. I didn't like her. And I've been looking for a reason to justify why I didn't like her. And I'm going to latch all of that projection onto that one thing. On. And anyone else who does like her is mistaken. And, and so it's like, it can yeah, be very, yeah, very yeah. vitriolic. Yeah. They've been true. Yeah, it's very vitriolic. And look, I am fucking annoying, but you have to be annoying to make a difference. No one cool has ever made a difference in anything other than maybe <laughs> upping the amount of cigarettes people smoke or like wearing a more leather jackets or something. I don't know. I am annoying. Yeah. I know I'm annoying, but outside of that, just some of the reactions to stuff towards me, like some of it I found understandable because we live in a system that is incredibly hard on women. Sometimes it's my fault. I, I wish I had had more time to to expand in my career so that I could have taken it a bit slower and I perhaps sort of made a couple less errors. You know? Okay.
0: Although, I was just gonna say, I think you're making errors yeah. publicly in front of so many people and embracing them and owning them Gives people permission, I think, to have, like you said at the beginning of this conversation, that 2020 has allowed us to have hard, difficult conversations that we used to shy away from. And I think there is something about going, you know what, how the fuck am I going to learn if I'm not allowed to make fumbles? No, totally. Um, And I
1: still stand by that. I just mean, like, some of my more careless things where I was like, that was just fucking dumb. That was fucking careless. Like, you should have just, you should have read something before you open your mouth. I think I was in a phase of, like, you know, When you are, you're at the UN one day and the next day you're meeting like world leaders or you're like speaking in fucking Congress, Mm. like I was doing so many things that I wasn't prepared for, but it just happened so fast. I think I was just, you know, and I'm being doorstepped by journalists everywhere I go and they're just like, what do you think about this cause? Or what do you think about this thing And this world, you know, this world historical issue that's going on or this political crisis in this part of the world that you've never even Mm. been to? and you know i think partially because i think as women we are we feel this complete sense of obligation to show that you know we care and i do care but i don't often know everything that's going on in the world Mm -hmm. uh i have fairly like specialized knowledge about certain things as do many people and i would Mm -hmm. i would panic in the moment and just be like i don't want these people who are suffering in this way in this part of the world to think i don't think they're their issue is important, so therefore I will speak okay. before I am at all ready. So that's the only thing that I'm talking about regret-wise. When yeah, I make a fucking okay. mistake or I didn't know okay. something uh, simple or I was taken out of context on Twitter or I made a joke that was taken the wrong way, I think that is very important for me to be allowed to fuck up and just keep going because I didn't have that role model when yeah. I was younger. And so, seeing all these perfect mm. women who looked perfect and they had perfect teeth and said the perfect thing or said nothing at all in order to yeah. be assumed to be perfect, that fucked me up. Mm-hmm. It made me too yeah. hard on myself when I was younger. And I think that we need transparent. You have perfect teeth, also, <laughs> only, only the top set. I couldn't be bothered to keep the lower braces on. <laughs> <laughs> Put teeth
0: aside. I do think it's important that people go. Yeah, you, you, you.
1: You we let thought. men do it all the time. Like, men go and, like, beat their yeah. girlfriend up and then come back two years later in GQ mm. and they're like... We're a fucking, well, I went to yeah, rehab I and know. I realised I got slapped by my dad one time and that's why I became violent and so this yeah. is why I should still be allowed to have a career. And they just keep going. And women mm. just sort of never... A, never get that redemption they, arc. And so... Because there is yeah. no redemption arc. Or they or shrink. Or they shrink themselves. They, and they go,
0: it's dangerous shouting, so I'm going to sit... In here not in even dangerous world.
1: shouting. Like we're not just talking about outspoken women. It can honestly be honestly just be a woman who stood up because she was so beautiful, or because she won so many Oscars, or something. Yeah. You know? A lot of the women that we've yeah okay. systemically like shamed into silence. Like Jennifer Lawrence was just talking about it recently that she just fucked off for two years because the internet started yeah. to turn on her in this really vitriolic way, and she was like, I read the room and realised I mm-hmm. need to go away. And it's just like, oh, how sad. You were just doing too well, and you know maybe yeah. said a couple of things that didn't seem entirely charming all the time but nothing that mm-hmm. i haven't heard christian bale say something much worse or russell fucking crow yeah <laughs> you know so know. women cancel themselves well, unrelenting unforgiving. yeah and so i think that with me it's i just sort of refuse to cancel myself i kind of want to do what all the, the straight white men are doing and just keep going and keep improving yeah. learning don't try try to never make the same mistake twice and allow myself mm-hmm. the ability to just just be a human. And really like the show, The Good Place, the whole point of that show was about progress. The whole point of that show was the bigger picture, was the end goal. And it was all about just trying to be better tomorrow than you were today. And I think that is the only realistic and sustainable goal any of us can keep up. This perfection culture that has infused our generation, first of all, with our aesthetic, you know, you must be Mm Photoshop perfect, no pores, no wrinkles, no likes, no stretch marks. It's now gone into we have to have the perfect kids and we have to be the perfect mother and now it is we have to be the perfect human being and the perfect social justice warrior and we must never have made a mistake yeah. never put your hand up and admit you have ignorance otherwise we will punish you mm-hmm. we th- yeah. this isn't there's no end what's it's, the end goal here it's not realistic
0: it's fucking exhausting as well
1: okay the thank fuck for this i think um Thank fuck for my shamelessness, Angela.
0: No, okay. Thank
1: fuck for my ability to just check my ego at the door and just keep going and to maintain perspective because I had such a difficult, shitty childhood. And the one thing that's great about a difficult, really shitty childhood is that it gifts you with perspective to recognize when it actually is or isn't the end of the world. Mm. And so that has helped me survive this stupid fucking industry and stupid fucking social media, and 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 realise that, you know, I think human beings aren't always amazing, and I mean this on a kind of, you know, anthropological level, at recognising what is and isn't real danger, like actual danger. Yeah, okay. And, you know, they, they talk about the fact that we have the same stress reaction to a tiger as we do to being piled onto online. Yeah. We haven't really evolved for this, like, absurd rise in technology. And I kind of am still able to maintain that sense of I am safe, mm. even when it feels like I'm not, even when I'm being pushed right to the edge. I was so fucking abused and like neglected and rejected as a child that I'm kind of almost like lab built to be an activist. I'm like the Terminator. <laughs> I just sort of keep going. I keep coming back <laughs> because I... And it It really is truly like, just being able to recycle all of that pain and rejection and be able to turn it into a kind of armour maintains my focus. Mm. Is is one of my favorite things about myself. And I know that's very un-British of me to say anything like that, but I am proud of myself for my ability to withstand extreme stress mm-hmm. and my ability to see failure as cool because it means that I was willing to try when success wasn't guaranteed. Mm. And I think that that is something that I've grown to like about myself even though I can be quite cringe.
0: Sometimes and where did how, where did that come from? Do you think that kind of like almost appetite for trying things and the, and the, like a, quite a fearless
1: ability to throw yourself into things? Well, I think firstly I never expect to be liked because I was so disliked as a kid. So because I'm not really We're looking for that. This by, isn't my
0: disliked by who
1: as a kid? Like other girls, okay, like other kids at school because I was a fucking little weirdo and and that doesn't mean I deserve to be bullied. But I was just I was a little weirdo. I'm still a little weirdo. And I have great, amazing, wonderful friends, and like a big group of people that I absolutely adore, who accept me in all of my weirdness. But I think growing up without thinking that you're ever going to be accepted means that you never crave it when you're older. Okay. I don't crave it at all. Mm. I don't like. I don't look at fame as a popularity contest. I don't look at activism as a popularity contest. Uh, You know, Georgia O'Keeffe talks about the fact that for her, compliments and criticisms go down the same drain. And I think that that's really powerful and that's exactly how I feel like I don't take compliments to heart I also you know I take criticism not to heart but it kind of goes through my brain and I'm like is that a correct calculation should I fix something Mm -hmm. but outside of that I don't know I think I think honestly school set me up for that and then also eight years ago I've spoken about this before but I tried to kill myself and that was a clear kind of moment of oh, I don't value my life at all and therefore I have nothing to lose. And there's something incredibly dangerous about people who have nothing to lose. I went through a further phase of fearlessness of just like, fuck it. like I'm just going to try everything I can to get out of this state of numbness and repressed rage. I'm going to throw myself into whatever I feel like. I'm going to take all of the risks. I'm not going to listen to anyone else's fear mongering. And I'm just going to fucking... See where life goes because I've been at this point where nothing else really matters, and so there's a kind of odd freedom that came from that. I would never recommend that mindset. Like mind a state reckless kind of fuck it. Yeah yeah and I think that shows sometimes in my social media um and uh, sorry, I'm sorry I' trying to
0: actually with uh, as a as a compliment, I think sometimes the the best things are born out of that kind of like literally jump off a cliff, like here we go, nothing to lose.
1: yeah, look at my career. it's been one giant fuck it bucket, you know I was on t v didn't like being on t v because everyone was telling me I was dumb and good looking and therefore i should only wear fashionable clothes and never try and be funny so i was like Mm. well fuck this i'm gonna go where no one can see me i'll go on the radio uh and then after the radio i was like well now i'm i'm you know i want more i want to try something new i want to go and be a writer i don't even want to be famous anymore i want to be a writer and just a dj so i moved to america to go and do that accidentally end up on a you know in a (laughs) in a massive a sitcom good that turns out to be like a global hit, which I didn't expect. But the point is, is, and then like now I'm moving on writing my first book and like producing my own content and like trying out this completely started my own company. Mm-hmm. I just keep going from risk to risk, to risk, to risk where failure is often like almost guaranteed uh, because of my lack of expertise, but I just keep going for it. Cause I'm like, man, women in particular have really been just shoved into these tiny, like not even boxes, like coffins. Where we're told right what you are right now is who you're going to be for the rest of your life and these are your parameters and you have yeah. to stick within them and if you t- try and step outside of them then you're all of a twist like mm-hmm. more you want more <laughs> it was like yeah fucking want more yeah. i don't know who i am yet and i know i'm almost 35 but i'm changing year to year and so are you mm-hmm. so is every woman listening so is every person listening to this podcast right we're allowed now. to
0: change our minds we're allowed to want more we're allowed to
1: yeah You're allowed to grow. You're allowed to figure out that there's shit about you that you don't even know about yourself yet. And you don't even know what you're good at because we've been told since school to, like, pick a subject, pick a lane and stay in it forever, which I think is so fucking toxic. You don't know fuck all when you're 18. Do you remember being
0: told by a career guidance teacher what you should be? Yeah, what were you told that you should be? I was told I should be a nurse because I'm good with people.
1: (laughs) I was told I should be a doctor because I'm Indian, so... Pretty cool. We would have worked together on the same ward.
0: (laughs) Wow, an Irish nurse and an Indian doctor. Yeah.
1: (laughs) I'd watch that sitcom. Oh my goodness. Okay. You know, it's like even in love, Ted Danson met Mary Steenberg and his wife at 50. Mm. He met the love of his life at 50 after having already gone through a massive divorce like with kids. It's not over till you're fucking dead in the ground. And we're told it's over when we're like 19. Yeah.
0: It's too late, you've made your call, you've picked your course, that's it. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Like I wanna leave TV when I'm 40 entirely and become uh, an EMDR therapist. Oh. And I might well fucking do that. I might just go away and just become a, a therapist. Oh, you told me and about just do EMDR
0: that. before. So this is like yeah. the rapid eye movement thing.
1: Yeah, Yeah. and it's amazing with trauma. It's one of the only kind of like proven fast tracks to getting rid of PTSD. It's why I'm able to talk about the shit that went through when I was younger, in such a desensitized way, which I think sometimes makes people think I'm either a sociopath or I must be a pathological liar. But it's just, I'm just so numb to all of it, because I've been detached. It detaches your memory Uh, from the feeling so you don't get that
0: surge of the fight or flight really the like yeah um, physical
1: trauma in your body i don't get emotional at all it feels as though i'm talking about something that happened to someone else okay and it's such a blessing that emdr is free in the united kingdom yeah i feel so sorry for americans who just like can't access it sell their house and car just to get but I still think it's quite niche
0: and people don't necessarily think of it as as a therapy to explore and also I think and I have a friend who recently went to uh, the NHS and said I'd really like to do therapy and they're like are you suicidal and he said no and they said "Mm, there's kind of nothing we can do for you you're going to need to go private so it's kind of sometimes it's though that intersection where you go and you're open to something and you're told nah not for you, not today.
1: Also, a lot of people just don't know about it. You know, don't know and about it, it is mainstream science. It's not like shove a crystal up your vag and wish Which for the best. Like P.S., it's...
0: I'm open to. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, no disrespect to crystals up the vag. <laughs> like, I'll have <laughs> um, them all. <laughs> it's it's like very very legit mainstream neurological, like yeah. neurologically proven science. Um, so it is an amazing type of therapy. But yeah, absolutely, one of the biggest tragedies in the United Kingdom is our government's like complete inability uh, as they sit there in their private hospitals mm. to be able to understand how much we need healthcare, but mostly mental health care and yeah, the, yeah. and how if we were to fucking think about and and invest in the mental health of our people our crime rates would go I down know, everything, our, everything the work everything. rate would go up like everyone will be happier yeah. it would just be our domestic violence would go down mm-hmm. like to invest in that one simple thing Angela like, that know. one that one simple physical health Would be better. Like mental health is so inextricably linked Mm. to like cancer and all these different things. Everything, everything drives me bloody mad. So I'm still thank. One of the biggest things in the world I'll ever be thankful for is the NHS. Yeah, saved my life Mm -hmm. many many times. From one clumsy bitch. (laughs) You are, I think. (laughs) Um, that's why we love you. Okay, the thanks that got away. My thanks that got away is my teacher, Mr. Bird, who was my he was my IT teacher. And oh my god! Even though... that's
0: quite retro, isn't <laughs>
1: it? How old are you? I'm four hundred years old. He taught me how to use Google. Like you know, he he was he recognised that I was different, and he recognised that I didn't fit in at school at all. Mm. And also, like I was super sick as a kid, so I used to take loads of time off. So I was always catching up uh, in order to try and keep my fucking stupid scholarship. So. I was very, like, a very stressed, neurotic, lonely kid. And he let me come into the IT room during all of our break times where we're supposed to be in sort of, like, the break recess area. Social. And he would let me spend all of my time in there, in the IT room, just hiding from everyone. Just him and me. And he'd just sort of chat to me. And sort of, he was unofficially my best friend. (laughs) Which is so sad. But, But, yeah, but I... I love the shit out of Mr. Bird, and I've never been able to find him, so Mr. Bird, if you're listening to Angela Scanlan's podcast <laughs> uh, please you're know ranked. that i've no- yeah i've no- like I've never forgotten the respite because you know kids we see it in like suicide rates at schools you know kids really struggle to to be able to zoom out and know that the rest of your life isn't always going to be like this, and so we make these terrible decisions as children where we think that this is, this is it, this is life, this is what I've been prescribed, and so I should just do, hurt myself or check out now. And I honestly think the reason I didn't at school, even though it was such a fucking miserable experience for me, mm. is because he gave me respite, he gave me friendship and understanding, and, and made me feel like my weirdness was good and would one, be a, one day be of value. Amazing. Okay, the thank you next. February. February is my big thank you next where Piers Morgan Mm. and his fans and the world just set up camp inside my (laughs) arsehole, tried to burn me alive. The visual is beautiful. Uh, Yeah, where like... My sexuality got called into question. Yeah, yeah. My mental health was called into question. People said I had munch that I lied about fucking cancer. Yeah. Like, who's ever gotten a job from saying I've had cancer or I have health problems? It makes you an in, like an insurance nightmare. Yeah. No one would ever lie about having health problems that make you significantly less hireable. And I'm already a brown fucking woman who isn't stick thin. Like, what, what kind of luxury do I think I have? Like, what money do people think you make when you say I'm a bit ill? You know, illness isn't considered a sexy thing yet no. in the
0: world. No, like not yet. that woman yet. who
1: started that whole rumour about me, what a miserable, mm-hmm. evil bastard she is. No one trusts someone in my position I haven't always been perfect, so people are just kind of holding those like previous mistakes from 10 years ago against me because they don't believe in growth. And I honestly think that if you don't believe in the growth of another person, it means fundamentally you don't believe in your own growth. So we should all check in Mm -hmm. with that belief system. But that happened, and then, like, peers like, publishing messages, private messages between him and Caroline that framed me as somehow responsible for her death when I was nothing to do with it. Like, she and I were on good terms. We had one disagreement a year before she died about Love Island needing some more diversity, which wasn't even directed at her. Mm-hmm. Directed at the show, I didn't hold her responsible for that. She's a fucking host, and also I loved her. Yeah. We were friends, and I got held responsible by the entire media for her death, which I had nothing to do with. They were responsible, they needed a scapegoat to quickly divert attention because their lack of responsibility was being called into question and their bullying, and what they did is they bullied me and I sent, like, I've had 10 months of people calling me a murderer in my DMs for something that, I mean, no one even read the full article. Like, so people just read a headline and, and had someone to go and, like, project all of this venom onto and it's been me. I genuinely considered suicide in February. Wow. Uh, because of Piers Morgan and that woman. Uh, I think her name is... I can't remember her name. But, um, like, the the two of them, what they constructed against me and, like, how the world responded, how much people enjoyed it, like a sport, just made me think, God, this world is a bit too ugly for me, I think. Like, how much we want to destroy someone who's clearly just trying to help. Yeah, She's clearly not trying to hurt anyone. She's clearly just trying to help some people. She might not be perfectly educated or perfect, but I was like, ugh. This is disgusting. I don't want to bring kids into this world. I don't want to be here. People are ugly. But I managed to come through the other side of it thanks to (laughs) clonopin. It's a very strong anti-anxiety drug, Uh, which I took for like three months afterwards. And due to my incredible friends and uh, my boyfriend and my little dog pulling me through that and reminding me that there is actually beauty and hope in the world. Mm. And... Now I've come through it. I'm fucking thrilled it happened. Because, Angela, if they thought I was annoying and pissed before, they have no idea. Like, they killed me in February, and now I'm back from the fucking dead to <laughs> haunt them. Because now, this, this one thing that I had not been through or witnessed was being on the inside of a machine mm. where we build her up, we build her up, we build her up, and then we rip her down yeah. with smears and lies I've seen it happen. I knew it happened. I saw it happen to Meghan Markle, like right in front of my eyes. I saw it happen to Taylor Swift. I saw it happen to Anne Hathaway, to Jennifer Lawrence, like Mm -hmm. to Greta Thunberg. Like I've I've seen it happen to Princess Diana, for Christ's sake. So I've seen it before, but I couldn't relate to it because I I didn't know how much of it is bullshit. I didn't know how much they take all of your words out of context Mm -hmm. in interviews. I didn't know that female journalists are the ones who sometimes string you up the worst and make you look like the biggest prick and take all of your thoughtful sentences and craft them into one like reductive nonsense sentence that you didn't say, where they've cobbled different words you've said from a paragraph together yeah. to create a brand new sentence, which should be illegal to do. Yeah. I was like, fuck, this is how it happens. And so now I've actually been inside of the machine. I knew something like this was gonna come. I knew that people were bigging me up too much two years ago and they were it like, oh, she's a female Gandhi. Mm. I didn't know it was a deliberate system. Okay. When everyone was like, oh, she's so amazing, she's so amazing, I, I knew that them hyperbolizing and going over the top, bigging me up, was going to backfire. So you
0: think it's an actual um, it's deliberate. It's a fucking.
1: Yes, it is the most deliberate system in the world. And when you actually go back and you look, Kira Knightley, or like just any of these people, you look back, what they do, so they exaggerate how great you are. Mm-hmm. They're like, she's the most beautiful woman. She's the smartest woman. She's an intellectual. She's the greatest actress alive. Yeah. So they will they will hyperbolize you to the point where people start to think that you believe those things yeah. about yourself. People start to then think, oh, she's a bit stuck up. She's not disagreeing every time that's said about her. She's not speaking out against yeah. that. She thinks she must she's I bet I bet this is this has probably gone to her head. Her smile looks a bit smug in this picture. We can suddenly like personify a smile and then and then we start seeing her like overexposed everywhere right whether or not she's actually put herself out there we see her across every single news outlet all the time so we think in our heads because we don't know how PR works oh she must be putting this stuff out to the press herself she must be sending her tweets Yeah, yeah this thirsty bitch who thinks she's the greatest thing in the world who's smiling all smug Like, it's bombarding us with her fucking opinions or with her stupid fucking face. So we start to get sick of her. That's a very clever tactic, because what happens is that then the media is primed to be able to strike her, and no one's going to interfere. Because people are like, Question it, because they're already, like, fatigued. They're just like, yeah, you know what, actually, it's it's nice to see her taken down a little bit, actually, because she's gotten a bit too big for her boots. We never ask to be put on that pedestal. We have no control over the narrative around us. Mm. We have no control over how much we're written about. I don't send my shit out to be on the front cover. Every time I have a mild disagreement in my comment section, I'm not asking for that to be headline news. Mm-hmm. And, and so the narrative goes from speaking too nicely about you to suddenly hyperbolizing everything wrong that you do. Then comes the one thing that I didn't know was going to happen, which is the lies and the smear campaign. And then they destroy you. You check yourself out. And then they just move straight on to the next woman. Mm-hmm. So after me, it's going to be someone else. If I don't... Now use what happened to me in February to spell this fucking system out. If we can see it and identify it, we can end this and destroy it and stop buying into the media culture of misogyny of the build-up and then the deliciousness of the fallen woman. Yeah, the deliciousness of the
0: fallen woman. Jamila is back from the dead. That's the next headline. (laughs) (laughs) Literally resurrected.
1: Pathological Munchausen's liar, Jamila Jamil claims. (laughs) (laughs)
0: is the gift that you are most grateful for you can get hideously frivolous here if you like or you can be deep if you want
1: it is my dog my dog was a present mm. from my manager who watched the world eat me alive and oh. knew that I was sad <laughs> and I needed something pure in my life that I didn't know about Twitter <laughs> <laughs> or Instagram and this dog to whom I am a PA now <laughs> uh, <laughs> who eats everything that I love and who who revenge pisses they say that dogs can't revenge piss but I'm telling you they do and they can and he does too cute Uh, to revenge piss I feel my god dogs just shift everything in you and he has just reawoken my inner child Mm. and reconnected me to like what is pure and what is important and what Love is, and just made me an even softer and more. I think I became very hard in the last couple of years because activism like toughens you up. It's yeah. a very lonely, difficult. So I was in permanent fuck off mode. <laughs> I don't know. He's just he's woken up my cold little English heart and <laughs> warmed the cockles. I fucking love the fucking shit out of him. I love him so much more and like What's him so much name? more than most things or people. His name is Barrel. Oh, it's the is. stupidest name. Because my friend is so posh that when I said I was going to call him Barry, because I think calling dogs things like Steve, Keith, Barry, it's just very funny. So I wanted to call him Barry, my favorite name. Yeah. And she was like, oh, is that short for Barold? Because of Harry and Harold. And I was like, that's the dumbest name I've ever heard of. And so we've given him that stupid name. And he looks like a professor and he has the name of a professor. And he's just this sweet little (laughs) toff running around America. Finally, the hashtag blessed moment. Yes, um, it was a specific actual good place moment. So obviously getting the good place was fucking insane, but it was almost too insane for me to even process. But also presumably you didn't realise, you were like, cool show, but you no. didn't know what exact, like how big it was going to be. Also, I'd never seen myself act before. So I was like, right, it's going to be like Indian Romans, like Mike Sher's amazing new comedy. Like, I didn't, you know, I didn't know what was going to happen. Um, the final moment we wrapped, the end of season one, it was this unbelievable finale. And I'm walking out and I'm just being very casual. I'm going like full Russell Brown mode of like, thanks, mate. That's great. Yeah, safe. I had a great time. Thanks, everyone. Thanks a million. Like, it's all right if you don't hire me back. You know, and just sort of all my sort of South London came out in me. And then as I started walking out, through the lot of universal and all these iconic like film sets and you know back to the future and jurassic park and you know guys and dolls and stuff around me i realized it hit me what i'd just done i was like i've just wrapped an entire season of a fucking american sitcom with ted fucking danson in it i grew up obsessed with him and now i'm acting opposite like head to head with him in a i'm an actor now in hollywood and i Started sobbing so uncontrollably that I bumped into a sort of janitor uh, who worked there on the set, who thought I'd been fired and tried to comfort oh, me you were because like... I was crying so much. And I was like, "No, I'm cr- crying tears of joy. It's the best thing that's ever happened to me." Uh, and I think I didn't. I think it didn't hit me until that moment because if had it hit me how big it was, I wouldn't have been able to Do carry us. on. Mm. I wouldn't have been able to do it. The pressure would have been too much. I would have tried to go and get acting lessons or something. And that would have fucked with my performance. Like I, Or I would have just had a nervous breakdown. There was a specific moment during season two of The Good Place where... Ted Danson and I have to dance with each other and it's like old school movie dancing and I post this video like yeah, every four I months. Yeah, I know you do it.
0: and I love it every time.
1: Fucking loser who's obsessed with him and obsessed with this life moment and I will never ever stop talking about it and I will post it once a season for the rest of my life, <laughs> Angela. <laughs> so that no one on this earth goes without knowing that I got to dance with, with Ted fucking Ted. Danson. <laughs> yeah, Unforgettable was playing oh. by Nat King Cole and it was 2am and we were all like giddy with Exhaustion and heat stroke and there were fairy lights all around the set at universal and they'd made it look so beautiful and he was twirling me around and I'd seen movie stars dance like this in mm. my life like in in sort of singing in the rain and stuff and I'd been like oh, I'll never be able to dance like that a I'm also like five eleven, so no one's gonna ever be able to twirl you. Me around. <laughs> yeah and and I never thought I would be with an actual like old-fashioned movie star yeah. who was just twirling me around and swinging me back and forth and pulling me in to let me go. And I felt like a floating fucking angel. <laughs> and it was the coolest moment of my fucking life. And I will never, ever, ever forget it. Literally, because I can't because I keep posting about it. <laughs> even though it was two years ago. <laughs> I left set that day and I was like, honestly, I don't need anything else. I need nothing. Any other job I get on top of this is cake. Any other opportunity, any money I make, like I'm bursting with gratitude. And I feel very lucky for that because I feel like when that gets taken away from us, we we lose like 60% of the joy of life. We're and trained to never feel grateful. We're yeah. trained by capitalism to never feel grateful because unhappy people buy more shit. Mm-hmm. So if they keep us unhappy and dissatisfied and ungrateful, we'll continue to buy and rebuild their economy that we'll never benefit from. Look at this year. The, the big banks didn't bail us out. Like the big companies that we've been spending all of our money on, mm-hmm. you know, in their fast fashion. Like, no, they didn't, they didn't bail us out. Like, they didn't help. So we built them up and they just collected. I, I hope that this year, if anything, has taught us gratitude, not just for our lungs to work, but also for, for what we do have. Yeah, I love that. Thank you. So true. So, so true.
0: It's funny because when I launched this podcast a couple of years ago and then during lockdown, there was suddenly a, you know, it was deemed as a really fluffy kind of hippie thing. And now I have like grown men going, oh my God, my thanks a million trio. These are the thing. The shift in perception, the ability to change your view of your life, how you feel about Mm -hmm. your life. It's fucking remarkable. And that's my little crusade.
1: I think it's great. All of, our, all of our crusades, if you can reach one person even, you're yeah. doing something great. If you can make anyone in this world feel better about themselves. If you can even make your fucking self feel better yeah. in this crisis of a generation, well done. Yeah,
0: yeah, more of that. Um, okay, my love, thank you. Thank you. Big thank you to Jamila and as ever, if this has sparked some ideas about what you're thankful for, I'd love to hear about them. So please do drop me a line using the hashtag Thanks a Trio to at Angela Scanlon via Instagram and Twitter. Jamila can be found on Instagram. Jamila Jamil, official and... On Twitter, under the same name, you can also check out I Weigh on those platforms too. And if you've been affected by any of the issues raised in this episode, remember there is always, always someone to talk or to text. The Samaritans can be reached on 116 123 and check out the show notes for details outside the UK and Ireland. We are releasing new episodes every week and you can subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. And do go check out our other brilliant guests that we've had on the. season. C- And one last thing, if you're loving the show, please do write us a review and tell your friends it's how we all find our favourite new podcasts and things. Oh plus, did I tell you I have a newsletter? I know, what the fuck was I thinking. Anyway, it's lovely and it's out every Sunday. So, you know, it's in the show notes. Smell ya! Thanks also, by the way, to Louise Mason at Rethink Audio and to you, of course, the listeners. Thanks a million.